Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And hold on a second here. And it's early. So <laughs> I'm still trying to get it together. Now, we're ready for the show today, but good morning, everybody. And this is Kim from Black Freethinkers. And we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And so this has been a real interesting week, you guys. (laughs) There's so much to talk about, so much to go over. And, you know, I've been itching. You know, it's like, what went down this week, especially here in Chicago, I have so much to say about it as well as a number of other things, and we're looking forward to it. I'm definitely looking forward to talking about these things. So today's you know, topic or show is justice or just us, which is it, right? Justice or just us, and that is... You know, where I pulled that from was the book that I'm reading right now, Racial Contract, which, you know, is synonymous with, you know, um, social contract. And for those that have been listening to the show for a while, you know, I've talked about it in little little pieces here and there, but I'm going to do an entire show about it, but I need to read this book. And with this particular book, You know, I'm not going to proof text it or what have you, but I'm going to read the entire book. And I will tell you, um, I've had to put the book down a couple of times because it got me so fired up. And when I say fired up, I'm talking about angry. And it's very upsetting at how some of this developed. And, you know, more so than that, You know, the conditions that my mother, grandmother, and great-grandmothers, so on and so forth, the conditions that they've had to live under, the lies, the promises, you know, that were given to them, and just the pressure. It's just it's horrible. So this is why I encourage you all to go out and read and to do some research, because as you do the research, you find out a lot of other information. So I'm just, ooh, I'm just looking at everything, you guys. Did you all see what happened in Kansas last night, Kansas City? So the police were out there, and they used pepper spray on the protesters. And, I mean, look, they used so much pepper spray, it looked like one of those police hoses. And it's it's going to be interesting. Um, I have to definitely give a shout-out to Chicago, everybody here, you know, that went out um, and, and, and was a part of, you know, the activism or the protesting or however you want to call it, you know, whatever you want to call it. But they went out there, they showed up, and they showed out. And it's just, it's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, if you all saw the footage, you saw that there was, that, you know, there was fighting. You know, fighting took place not only within the um, um, the UIC pavilion; it took place on the street as well. You know, you saw a couple of police officers. One in particular, 
with blood dripping. Uh, you know, we saw different scenes in which the protesters and the supporters got into it, and then the police were running over there to try to separate them, you know, and this was outside. And Chicago was not having it. And just sitting here and watching the whole thing, it's like, you know, watching the clips. Because it's like, you know, even the people that were there, you, you couldn't have been in every location. So when you when you go home and you start watching the clips, it's like, you know, what's really going on out here? And it was just amazing that no one has been killed. And unfortunately, you know, there are some of us who feel that that will be coming. And what's interesting is the young man that was, I think this was somewhere in Pennsylvania, he was being escorted out of the out of the Trump rally, and the old dude sucker punched him. No, that was North Carolina, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Thank you, guys. And, you know, what's interesting is this guy was allowed to remain at the conference, and then after the conference, Inside Edition found him and gave him an impromptu interview. And this gentleman said next time they may have to kill him. And then claiming they don't know if he's ISIS or what. And see, that's the thing. Look at what this rhetoric is doing. You know, it's it's emboldening. You know, they've become more emboldened, these races. And it's just, you know, this is just like foreshadowing what we're going to be dealing with. But the thing is, is that, you know, we knew this was coming. I remember, you know, talking about this on several several different occasions on the show about how, you know, this this rhetoric, how, you know, vitriolic and toxic it is. And what I find so telling is within some of the communities in which, you know, many of us are involved in or part of, the silence has been deafening, absolutely deafening. You know, I'm still waiting to see some, you know, press releases from certain people stating that they condemn Donald Trump and, and you know, his, his hate speech. But, of course, that's not going to happen, not at all. And so, you know, everything has been really interesting. So I wanted to clear one thing up, (laughs) you know, of last week's show. So, you know, whenever I mentioned the word patriarchy, I would go patriarchy, patriarchy. So, you know, um, I want to make sure that you guys know when I said that and when I do that, it's not minimizing patriarchy because patriarchy is a very real thing. What patriarchy is, patriarchy basically is the okey-doke plus patriarchy. So it's really, oh, patriarchy, and the O is silent, so I took that part off. But, you know, what I mean by that is you have some people who claim that, you know, patriarchy is wrong, they're not for it, they don't want people to utilize it, however when they're trying to get something done or trying to get something from someone, then they will utilize P 
patriarchal type of behavior, patriarchal language, and all of that to 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 get their way. So it's like okie doke plus patriarchy. Okay, patriarchy. But you know, <laughs> like I said, I just made the old silent. But you know, if you're gonna use the O, it's really oh patriarchy because you see, it's okay in certain situations as long as it benefits them. So, like I said, the O is silent, you know, and yes, I made the word up, and that's just how that goes. I'll even allow you to say catriarchy. What the hell? Catch me on a right day. That's exactly how it's going to sound coming out of my lips. So, um, <laughs> it's it's just interesting, but, yes, yeah, so that's what catriarchy means. I don't want anyone to think that I'm minimizing patriarchy, you know, I'm not saying tomato, tomato, no, you know, basically in, in different conversations that I have with different people, and we talk about how in certain situations, you know, there are some people that will turn a blind eye to the situation because they're trying to get something that they want, and then at that point, patriarchy is okay to be utilized, so... It's just real interesting. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. So, yeah, you're there? Mm-hmm. You're awake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just kind of low, so I can't hear you, but that's cool. But, um, yeah, you know, what did you think? Of, what did you think about, well, before we even get into that, Let's talk about this one thing, because I had somebody inbox me earlier this week asking me about Zoe Saldana and colorism. And we did a whole Mm -hmm. show on colorism. Go back into the archives, and, you know, we've talked about it subsequent to that particular episode. But, um, you know, it's a few things that we need to talk about. But, all right, so, Raina, what, what is your take on you know, Zoe Saldana being, you know, cast to play Nina Simone. Okay. <clears throat> um, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of uh, two things. Like, well, I, I think that Zoe Saldana, um, you know, definitely should not have played Nina Simone. Um, I, I also feel like um, to blame her is not, like, it's, it's sort of like... Um, like the, it, it's just it's just not sufficient because you know Zoe is you know there's a Hollywood assistant that hired her they thought it was okay uh-huh. to hire her for this particular role and um, I think that that has to be critiqued you know what I mean so exactly. I, I while I'm not pleased that Zoe Saldana took on this role. It's, and at the end of the day, it's, it's, you have to look at the system in Hollywood that would um, that would would rather hire Zoe Saldana than all of the you know beautiful dark skinned women um, who right. might have done Nina Simone more justice. You know, women who could even exactly. maybe have sung. You know what I mean? Women who have maybe even played her before. Exactly. You know, in ver- in various other forms. You know, um it's you know, I'm not 
I'm not hating on Zoe Saldana. I don't particularly think she's a great actress. You know, she's not, you know, she's entertaining in various things. But I've never really thought that she was a great actress. But regardless of how I feel about her acting ability, the bottom line is, is that representation matters, right? And, right. you know, it's, you know, it's, um, it's just like you don't have a, a, a white guy playing Michael Jackson. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, Michael Jackson was black man. He was, he was proud to be a black man. If you listen to, you know, things that he, he said, you know what I mean, in his songs and things like that, he didn't have a problem with being a black man. Now, he might have had some more exactly. educational issues. <laughs> you know what I mean? He may have had some mm-hmm. issues with, like, his nose and his, you know, and some other things, you know. But I don't, right. I, I don't get the impression that he ever really had an issue being black, per se. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. Well, the thing, the is, thing with Michael Jackson that a lot of people didn't get or didn't understand, he started wearing the one glove to cover discoloration that was on his hand. Mike, it was, it's called vitiligo. And yeah. for well, those you know, a lot of people that know that, yeah. you, you would hope, you know. But the thing is, is that when they did the autopsy on Michael and they released the full information, you know, Michael had lupus. And one of the, you know, signs for lupus, you know, you get the vitiligo, sometimes the butterfly patch, for all we know, he started getting that butterfly patch across his nose. And then he had no choice but to then start, you know, some of the treatment. And, you know, like I said, what's interesting is, you know. You don't mean the, you don't mean the, you don't mean the, 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 the rhinoplasty. You know, Pardon, say that again? I said, you're not talking about the rhinoplasty, though. Oh, and yeah, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is, yeah, vitiligo. Yeah, because the spots can occur anywhere, randomly, no rhyme or reason to it, you know. I mean, um, I still don't and, understand why he did all those, all those notes, I would be honest, but. Oh, well, yeah. No, I I, I don't think any of us would really... Well, okay, the part that I do understand about it is, you know, Joe, particularly his dad, used to always tease him about being ugly and tease Mm -hmm. him about the nose and, you know, all of that type of thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there was some emotional abuse. I mean, look look at how they were raised. Come on. We all know that there was physical and, and, and emotional and psychological abuse taking place. So, you know, his reasoning for getting the nose jobs doesn't matter, you know, because it's his face, it's his money at the end of well, the day. I mean, it, does, it does kind of matter, though. <laughs> but, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, it does matter. Uh-huh. It matters when you're, when you're, that, when you're that public and, and, you have a rep- and you represent as a, as a black man. And then we see your appearance become increasingly more Anglo. I, I'm just saying this from a, from a from a songwriting standpoint and from a lyrical standpoint, from a political standpoint. It never seemed like he had a problem um, being black. Oh yeah, but exactly. You know, he but that doesn't mean but that doesn't mean that he didn't have that he didn't have in, you know this internalized racism uh-huh. going on. Oh, you know, of course. 
Of course, of course, you know, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, Michael Jackson said on several occasions that he was proud to be black and that this, you know, those changes that were made, he stated it wasn't, you know, you know, self-hate or anything like that. Now, what I will say is that, you know, in this country, you know, having some, you know, um, self-doubts or some self-hate issues you know, a lot of that has been embedded in many of us, you know, through the media. But in Michael Jackson's case, yeah, I'm sure it was some because look at look at where he was. He was in Hollywood. And in addition to, you know, the messages that go out, whether, you know, they're explicit or implicit, you know, again, you know, black is bad. You know, and, and this is what people are taught. You know, you don't want to be black. You don't want to be like those black people over there. And then also within that particular culture in which he was raised, you know, everybody wants to stay young. Everybody wants to stay beautiful. Everybody wants to stay relevant. Now, do I think he went overboard? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you that. He went overboard with some of that. But, you know, the reason why I'm not as hard on him for some of those things is because of that particular culture that they have in Hollywood. And, you know, he's not the only one to have done those things. But, but again, he's a firm. No, he's not the only one he won't be the, and he won't be the last person to reach or to, or to change their nose or to... You know, do any of those other things. You won't be the last one. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, exactly. The point is, is that the point is, is that uh, it comes in very specifically. You know, this, uh-huh. this movie. Um, you know, this movie it could have been done a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different actresses who could have played this role. I mean, even you know, Viola Davis could have played this role. Right. I mean, this role is supposed to be Venus alone in her later years. You know, right. like when she, you know, right. like after she had a a breakdown, you know, right, and exactly. Is, so, I mean, this could have been anyone playing this role. There's lots of actresses who could have done it, you know, but, exactly. Um, but you know, but Hollywood. Exactly. I mean, but you know, the people in Hollywood, you know, they, you know, they mm-hmm. like a certain aesthetic, you know, exactly. Zoe um, Saldana is, you know, she's Afro Latino, you know, and she uh-huh. um, she is uh, not quite white skinned. She's she's brown skinned, of course, but she is um, you know she she is um, and she's definitely white skinned, you know, so she definitely has white skin privilege. Um, but you know she <laughs> she is um, you know she's she's right. she's she's I don't know. There's a there's a thing about about black people and foreign black, the people that are perceived to be foreign black or exotic, right? Um, the advantages uh-huh. to American black that generally says that they're less threatening and what have you. And um, right. I think that, I think in some ways, Nina Simone, even though she's not, you know, she wasn't, um, she wasn't a Malcolm X or, or what have you to say, but she was threatening. And she was, and, right. and that's part of what, what her downfall was because Nina Simone was, you know, she she was so political and she was so, um, she was so in, in, involved in the in the struggle for civil rights, right? So she, uh-huh. she wanted her people to know themselves and she wanted them to love themselves and 
you know, that's why she had, you know, songs like Young Gifted and Black. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah, you know, and, I mean, going back to what you said earlier about how, you know, they got a white guy playing Michael, you know, and they had Zoe Saldana, you know, playing Nina. And, I mean, look at all of these different movies. I mean, you can go all the way back to the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston. Now, again, you know, some of us don't believe that ever happened, but, you know, they had, you know, a lot of white people playing the Egyptians. And even now with the movie, I forgot the name of that movie that came out and it flopped, where they had all white people. Huh? (laughs) I said, let's not talk about it. Oh yeah, well I'm, I'm just saying, you know, they had all the white okay. people playing Egyptians. So, but I mean, okay. we're not going to talk because I don't okay. remember the name of the movie. Okay. So you know, so you know, I'm just looking at this, and so yeah, I think Zoe Saldana was the wrong person to play that role as well, and I think and Viola Davis would have played. Like, who's the makeup person in that movie? Like, she looks, she looks like kind of ashy. I don't know anybody. Exactly. I don't know any black people that color that look like that. Like, the the color on her face looks like that. You know what I mean? And I've never right. seen that in my life. Like, she, you know, Nina Simone had a much richer tone, you know, to exactly. her skin. She had, you know, she exactly. had beautiful skin. And, you know, yeah, she on and it looks like somebody put some mud on her face and she's at the spot. You know exactly, exactly. You know, and that's and it and it. Oh yeah, no. So like, even if Zoe is doing a good job, no one's gonna know (laughs) because the makeup is so distracting. Right, right, exactly. And that's the whole thing, you know, as far as the acting is concerned, I think Viola Davis could have played the hell out of that movie. But with the acting and the singing, I think um, Lauren Hill would have brought the house down. You know, mm. and I know if how some people. Showed up on time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but the thing um, is, is that I think you know. Oh, wow, you know, I'm a Lauren fan. You know, oh, I love that woman. I'm a Lauren but, yeah, fan. You know. Too, you know, but yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know about Lauren. Oh, yeah. I don't think Lauren would have made it to set on time every time. I think she did. <laughs> she ended up getting fired. But I mean, oh, Indy yeah, well, you know could have done it because Indy Ivory could have done uh-huh. it. You know. Um, you know, there's any number of actresses that could have played that role. Um, I don't. You don't watch The Walking Dead because you know you don't usually watch a lot of TV. But there's an actress on The Walking Dead that could have. Yeah, um, Denise um, Gray, or I think her name is. I forget yeah. how you pronounce her last name. But um, yeah. Denise could have played that. You know, yeah, I've seen commercials for The Walking Dead. She's beautiful. Yeah, so many other actresses could have played her, and 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 done a really fabulous job. I mean. You know, she doesn't, I mean, she didn't share features with me, like, not at all. You know what I mean? I just, right. I don't know. And she's, exactly. and it's like, and Nina, and Nina was, you know, I don't know. She, you know, Nina had um, this, like, sort of fierce look that she kind of had sometimes. Yeah. She kind of a little formidable. I can't see Bill yeah. Saldana giving that kind of look. That's really, you no. know, that's not something I can see from her. So. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So we're on the same page there. I'm waiting for them to start their white entertainment television station, and they'll have Rachel Zoe. Uh, what's what's her name? Rachel. Um, what's her face? Um, playing Nina Simone. You know the one that was walking around doing black performative art. Dolezal. Rachel Dolezal playing Nina Simone. Uh, well, you know. 
it's just the whole thing is interesting because, you know, just looking at that, you know, again, basically they're whitewashing history and trying to factor us out of history, you know, just getting, it's, it's ridiculous just looking at all of this. And, of course, you know, I feel some kind of way about it. But, yes, you know, we have a lot of colorism issues, not only in the United States, but across the globe. You know, you had some women, you know, using the bleaching cranes. You know, we've talked about that. But colorism is a problem. It remains a problem. And it's not only with black and white people, even within, you know, some of these the black communities, even within some of the Latino communities, you know, because, and even, you know, with some of the Indian, you know, communities. And in, you you have a caste system. I mean, is there's a lot that needs to be changed and explored, you know, but a lot of that was part of colonialism. And, you know, we're still battling, you know, the effects of that even to this day. And, you know, using that and saying that but with the colonialism, you know, the oppression, slavery, and capitalism, this is what takes us to Donald Trump and the identity politics or white identity politics. That's what a lot of this is based on. And it was interesting because Jelani Cobb wrote an article, and basically he said that Donald Trump's campaign um, really is representative of White Lives Matter. And that's pretty much the message that, that Donald Trump is giving, but in a more nuanced way. And, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that, Raina? I mean, yeah, you know, disagree with that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's basically like, um, I don't know, it, it just, it just takes me back to a time when, you know, people were much more open about, um, about being racist in the political sphere. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not necessarily using the same language, you know what I mean? But the mm-hmm. tone and the hostility um, you know, towards difference is there, you know? Exactly. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. And the hostility and vitriol is ramping up. You mm-hmm. know, it is ramping up with, with each rally. You know, his rhetoric gets, you know, even more vitriolic or toxic than it's been the rally before. And what's interesting is is that he's claiming that the protest that took place here in Chicago Friday night, he feels that, you know, it has just galvanized his support base. He feels that, you know, his people feel even more empowered and emboldened to support him and, you know, what's interesting is, is that Hillary Clinton said that she believes this is, you know, um, political entertainment for him and that he finds all of this entertaining. But he's still fanning the flames. And, you know, I guess the question is, you know, if someone is killed at one of these rallies, what's going to happen? 
what's going to happen? You know, he's going to issue another press release saying we are not involved. That was his press release for the incident that took place in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So basically he'll be at the podium and say, you know, I'll pay for your legal fees. I promise you I'll pay for your legal fees. And then turn around and say we are not involved. And what's disturbing well, I mean, about that? To be uh-huh. Okay, to be fair, to be fair, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> He did say that in the context of saying that somebody was getting ready to throw tomatoes. So if they right. were going to throw tomatoes, that you know, you can go ahead and slug them, I'll pay for your legal fees. I don't know right. that that necessarily, you know, relates to all instances where, you know, right. somebody is protesting or what have you. But... Oh, yeah, but see, the problem with that is you and I know, you know, people were mm-hmm. throwing tomatoes. But when they play that news clip, they don't play the part where he says they were throwing tomatoes. They just play the part where he says, you know, if if you hit them or what have you, that he'll pay their legal Well, fees. I heard the part. I Every time I've seen that clip, I've seen the part where he's like, you know, if you see someone throwing a tomato. Go ahead and plug them. I'll pay your legal fees. But I don't okay. know. Well, maybe we're yeah, watching. Well, maybe we're mean, watching different news programs. So. Yeah, you know, it's like I've been watching, you know, MSNBC a little bit more, you know. But you know, I'm trying to find a new channel to go to, you know, because MSNBC is getting more and more conservative by the day. And we talked mm-hmm. about that last week about how they were bought by a conservative group. And they're they're owned by Comcast, but yeah, so right, yeah, but you know, conservative, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying if we're talking about who bought them, might as well say the name, right? Say conservative group, yeah, right. But um, yeah, so it's real interesting. Like I said, you know, with the fights that broke out, and for these rallies, you know, they usually have metal detectors so that people can't bring in weapons and what have you. But this is going to be interesting because, as I said last week, and, you know, I'll say it again today, especially after Friday, I do believe in my Second Amendment rights. I do believe in the right to own a weapon and to be able to protect yourself and your property, period. I believe it, and... I would, you know, if if I were some other people, I would go out and, you know, different states do things different ways. In Illinois, you have to get a firearm owner's identification card, and that just says you went through the background check through the state. And then you're eligible to, to buy a weapon. Now, you know, in addition to that, with the court case that went to the Supreme Court, And let me explain a little bit about it in Chicago in particular. You know, not for the entire state of Illinois, but Chicago. It was illegal to own a handgun in Chicago. And, you know, a case was brought against the city. It went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court sided with, you know, the individual that wanted to have and own a handgun in the city. So now you can have a handgun in your home. It used to be only rifles and shotguns. 
But, you know, in addition to that, you know, you are now able to get a concealed and carry license in Illinois. But you have to go through the training. You have to pass, um, you know, the training and, you know, basically, you know, take some time out. You have to go down to the range. They show you how to, you know, um, load your weapon, how to shoot it, so on and so forth. You pass that and then apply for your concealed carry license, and you're able to, you know, carry it that way. Um, For some people, I think that may be something that you may want to explore and practice. Not only, you know, don't just practice when you're trying to get that, you know, piece of paper saying that you went through the number of required hours and, 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 um, you know, in education to get the concealed carry, you need to learn how to shoot straight. You need to learn how to clean your gun. That's important, too, because they will backfire on you. So, you know, at this point, I mean, even before that rally, you know, I had to been saying that people need to know how to um, defend themselves. And not only with, you know, a weapon, you need to know how to defend yourself, you know, um, physically as well. Because I just think we're coming to that point in this country, whereas, you know, you see the people at some of these rallies, and in particular the Trump rallies, and he's getting them heated up. You know, they're fired up and ready to go. For one of them to openly threaten to kill, you know, someone, and the thing is, is that Fayetteville is is a small city, and you know these people's information, you know, was out there in the public. You know, anyone can go and try to hurt him now. So, you know, I just find it unfortunate that that you know things have come to this, and it seems like it's getting more and more out of hand. And again. You know, the whole thing is interesting because Trump and some of his supporters seem to think that with the, you know, with the protesters and the activists and organizers in Chicago, they they feel like their First Amendment rights were trampled on. And that's not true. It was really interesting because um, a constitutional First Amendment lawyer went toe-to-toe with Donald Trump Jr., and I'll find that a little bit later and post it. But um, the whole thing, like I said, is just it's horrible. Well, the other thing, but the thing is stupid. The whole situation is stupid because Donald Trump, should, I mean, okay, for, okay, Illinois, I think I read somewhere that Illinois, um, based on population size, based on, um, you know, the very, um, especially Chicago, right, and, and the whole metro area, right, is like probably one of the most diverse electorates in the country. You know what I mean? But representatively speaking, it it pretty much is a a snapshot of what the country looks like. Right. In terms of in terms of economics, in terms of um, race, in terms of gender, Chicago is is, is fairly diverse. There are lots right. of places just outside of Chicago, that Trump could have held his rally, that where it probably would not have, have um, 
generated as much um, backlash. You know what right. I mean? There are places that have stadiums that have, you know, um, venues that could have been suitable for what it was that he wanted to do. But he chose Chicago. And my question is why they would have done that, knowing that how diverse Chicago is. And then to do it at the at, at, um, was it University of Chicago? Was it um, UIC University of Illinois, Chicago, UIC. University of okay, so it's University of Illinois, Chicago. You know, it's just it makes no sense to me. I think, and somebody, and I heard a um, a, a commentator bring that up, and and you know, I feel the same way. You know, it's like I don't understand why it was decided to put this in Chicago of all places. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Knowing yeah. how many students, knowing how many, you know, people of color, knowing how many, you know, Muslims, how many immigrants, you know what I mean, how many people would be against him. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, but in addition to that, Chicago has no has been known to be about it, about it. So, <laughs> so that's why I was sitting here and I knew what was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. You know, now all I can say is that, you know, you have some people trying to compare Friday night to Democratic National Convention that was in Chicago in 1968. And, you know, I'll post a couple of articles because I believe Jelani talked about that quite a bit in his article and why he said the comparisons, um, you know, the comparison to the 1968 um, clash was much different than this clash. And there are a lot of differences, you know. But, again, yeah, I agree with you, Raina. Why would he choose Chicago? He knew exactly what he was doing. And just, you know, that same day earlier, he was in St. Louis. So he knows what he's doing when he's coming to these cities that are as diverse as those two, but, you know, predominantly black. Where And where, so, right, and not just that, but where there has already been sort of racial tensions. You exactly. Know what I mean? And, exactly, and, and what have you? Where there's already, you know, issues coming up. Of, hold on one second. I have to um, wrinkle my cat. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, places that there have always, you know, there had already been political issues regarding state violence, regarding, you know, senseless crime, and and especially the issues in Chicago with the activists and organizers, right. you know, um, putting together, you know, these different plans of action that have challenged, you know, the, the status quo, that has challenged the establishment. And so there's tension in the air because, you know, we're still Especially dealing in with, Chicago. Uh, Especially exactly. in Chicago. Because, right, because Laquan, McDonald. Rahm Emanuel. And they're still pissed yeah. about the election. They're still pissed about the um, the school situation. They're pissed. People in Chicago are pissed, you know, right. and rightfully so. <laughs> exactly. 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 You know, and, and you're absolutely 100% correct, you know, and I'm just looking like, 
you know, what the hell is going on with some of these people? You know, what are they thinking? But, again, it's deliberate. On on Donald mm-hmm. Trump's end, this is deliberate. You know, you may have some people trying to convince you or say otherwise, but no. And what's even more interesting is, you know, I had it on my wall. I had to block someone because he was, you know, trying to say that we were the ones that were being violent and that it wasn't, you know, the supporters of Trump, when that is not the truth. You know, and in some cases, well, that's you not know, what the United States. Well, that's not what the Marines said when they when they when they um, when they discharged that guy who was yelling at that girl and pushing and shoving right. her. Right. Oh, I was so upset about that. I was mm-hmm. so upset about how she had been treated. That. You know, I mentioned it briefly last Sunday, and I let it go because a lot of this, I mean, that can be any of us. That can be any of us. And just look at the way a young, that was a young woman, very young woman. And they're pushing her and twisting her and yelling at her like that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me of that situation I told you about. One day I was in one of those dollar stores, and it was this older white man, and, you know, he was talking and fussing and trying to talk to everybody, and everybody's ignoring him and, you know, walking away. And so, you know, I got in line, and I ended up in line behind him. And, you know, I was trying to ignore him, but he kept talking to or at me. And then finally, you know, you know, why I engaged, I just did. And he was like, well, I'm the grandfather. That means I'm the boss. I'm in charge. They should do everything I say. Don't you agree? And my response was no. And he got mad, started pointing at me. I mean, I can say he came to within, you know, one centimeter of touching me in my chest. Mm. And the dollar store people, the cashier, got real nervous. And, you know, all the other people in the line of the customers, they were just looking. And I guess he thought about what he was doing and what could have happened. And he hurried up and got his package and ran to his car. And he was trying to pull out like he was Starsky and Hutch, right? And he almost hit a couple of cars trying to back out and get out of there so fast. You know, and I just sat there and I just looked at him, you know, but, you know, had he touched me, you know, what was so interesting about that is had he touched me, naturally I would have wanted to defend myself, but I knew that had he touched me and I touched him back, there's a real good chance I would have been the one going to jail, Mm -hmm. not him. For so many you know, and Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, you know, they've become more emboldened, and it's going to get worse. And this is why, you know, you know this is why we talk about these things. Um, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And, I mean, think about the Duck Dynasty guy. What's his name? Phil something. And when he was saying that blacks were happier, 
under Jim Crow. There are a lot of people that go to these rallies who have who hold that same belief that we were happier and much better off under slavery and Jim Crow and the black codes. You all need to understand the mindset of some of these people. Yep. You know, and they have no problems, no qualms about shooting, you know, and killing one of us. And their defense then and their defense now is I was standing my ground. Go back. And, you know, even with the book that I talked about, Nigger, by Randall Kennedy, you know, he he documented a number of court cases in which white people um, claimed that they were standing their ground or that they were afraid, and that is why they hurt, you know, or killed, you know, the you know the black person. And you know, one time, you know, this one guy was just merely talking, and he was shot and killed. And of course, the white person never went to jail. I mean, you know, that is what's happening in in some cases in this country. Um, the young man Jordan down in Florida, the white guy that shot and killed him. Well, you know, some justice was achieved because you know the the guy is in jail for the rest of his life. But the question remains: is why did he feel so comfortable shooting at those young black men? Mm-hmm. You know why was that? And so I just think it's very important that we start asking ourselves some of these hard questions. But anyway, I said all that to say this, you know, has have you know, you'll have detractors and that's fine. We understand that. But, you know, some of the, you know, um Jedi mind tricks, you know, and some of the deflections that I'm seeing by some white people is absolutely amazing, you know, and you've seen these studies that have come out in which white people feel that they're experiencing racism and at a much greater rate than black people, Latinos, indigenous folks, they feel like they're the victims of racism, which many of us are absolutely astounded when we see that. But what's happened is a lot of the, you know, privileges that they once enjoyed, and for the most part, they still enjoy it. It's just that it is is not as much as they had become accustomed to having, but yet they still they have a great... Like, or they feel that it's under threat. Uh-huh. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They think exactly. That they, see that there's, they see that minorities are, are, are gaining, um, are becoming more and more, um, you know, a bigger part of the population. And so they worry about the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And so But the problem is, you know, is that they're worried about the wrong about they're worried about the wrong people challenging their status and their power. The people that they ought to be worried about are the Koch brothers. <laughs> That's who they right. ought to be worried about. The Koch yeah, brothers the are brothers. bigger are bigger um a bigger challenge to their liberty and to their freedom, to their privilege as they see it, than uh, than than we are, because um, ultimately all the Koch brothers care about is more profit. You know what I mean? Right. So all these white right. people who are you know upset about people coming in the country 
taking their jobs or their jobs going elsewhere. They need to look at people like the Koch brothers. They need to look at, you know, a lot a lot of these one percent um, people because what's happening is is they are, um, you know, they're the sort of blue collar white male way of life. That that it's mm-hmm. those people taking it away from you. It's not brown people. Exactly. It's not exactly. black people. It's not anybody. Exactly. And and see, and that's, you know, what I, you know, you and I, we've had a number of conversations um, regarding these particular issues. And yes, I mean, you know, you have to go back and it's on both sides of the aisle. I mean, we have to thank Bill Clinton for NAFTA, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of jobs, a lot of manufacturing jobs, blue collar jobs went away because they were able to go to Mexico and South America and other places, you know, to compete and, you know, have a cheaper workforce, which increased, you know, profits, which increased dividends for, you know, stockholders and, you know, bigger bonuses for the executives. And, you know, again, you know, instead of, you know, getting angry at, you know, people of color, you know, you need to take your fight to the powers that be. And like I said, you know, last week I said it's a lose-lose situation, especially for black people, because, you know, in the situation where, let's say, you know, um, Bernie loses the nomination and Hillary is the Democratic um, candidate or nominee, then you're going to have people blaming the black community because not enough of us voted for Bernie and we're voting against our own best interests. I've seen several articles out there saying that black voters are doing the same thing that poor white voters are doing. And, yes, I feel some kind of way about that, but we're going to come back. And, you know, I know I posted an article, and it was talking about, you know, the Bernie supporters and their Bernie explaining. But, you know, we're going to get picked on if he loses, the you know, the opportunity to be the nominee. If Hillary loses and Bernie gets it, then you're, we're still going to get blamed for that. You know, and, and and going back to the 2008 election when, you know, black people were supporting Barack Obama, you know, basically, you know, the attitude was after everything we've done for you people. And that's why last week I was like, yeah, you sent all the jobs away. Thank you put everybody in in jail. Yeah, thank you for that, too. And it's a number of other issues, you know, that come with that deregulation of the stock market, deregulation of the mortgage industry, all of that. Bill Clinton, y'all, and it's not just him, it was other presidents, you know, before and after him that played a part in that as well. So, you know, I don't want anyone sending me any notes you know, trying to argue that particular point. But, you know, and I know this, but, again, we have to look at it, and these companies are trying to increase their revenue. They're trying to increase their profits, and what is happening is they take the most profitable departments, the ones that are in the black actually making money, and they send them overseas, And the departments that are bleeding money, the departments that are in the red, they leave those in the United States, and that's how they get out of paying taxes because the departments in the divisions that are overseas, 
you know, there are, you know, they don't have to declare the profits from that on their taxes in America. And this is why you hear people talking about these tax havens and what's happening with, you know, those things. So this is why we feel that it's important for you guys to um, become informed. But it's really interesting because, you know, you go and you read up on some um, – anyway, the book that I'm reading, Racial Contract, you know, was talking about um, – you know, an African, you know, proverb, and basically was like justice or just us. And, you know, this is what, you know, a question that they pose to a lot of white people. You know, when they say justice, are they talking about just, you know, justice for white people only? And it gives you, it gives you a reason to pause and look at it. Because, again, we've talked about a number of different communities. You know, I'll use the LGBTQ community, you know, with the marriage equality. But even before that, with the Prop 8, you know, oh, yeah, you got to thank, you know, Bill Clinton for DOMA as well. But with the Prop 8 in California, you know, instead of going after the Mormon church, they went after the black people when it was statistically impossible for, you know, the registered black voters, you know, in, in California to have made any type of, you know, big dent. So it's, it's just interesting because now, you know, you have Donald Trump blaming people of color, mostly black people, and he calls, you know, the protesters and activists, he calls them thugs and troublemakers and a number of other things while he's telling them to go home to their mother or to go out and find a job and all of that. And this is out in the open. And, you know, we have people out here who feel that Trump will not win, you know, you know, will not win and be the president of the United States. He actually has a chance of winning you guys. It can't happen. And this is why we're urging you to go get registered to vote and then go do it. And, you know, last year when I was encouraging people to vote, you know, I suggested that, you know, we probably get a couple of bands together and drive people to the polling place, you know, just Mm -hmm. so that they can vote. Don't care who you vote for, just vote. Well, yeah, I do care who you vote for, you know, but, um, but, but you know, that's your choice. I'm going to vote for who I vote for. But, you know, this is, you know, this is really serious. And this is why, particularly in the case of Hillary and Bernie, this is why, hold on a second here. Sorry about that. And so... This is why we're telling people to go out there and vote, because if there is a low voter turnout, the Republicans are going to win it, and that's what they're banking on. And that is why, you know, it's become harder and harder to register to vote in certain states. And this goes back to what we say about, you know, the local politics. Republicans have won the governorships in a number of states, and they're the ones who have the power to change these laws through the state legislature, which is heavily Republican as well. So this is why we're telling you guys, you have to get out there, you have to vote. 
is imperative because I don't know. I don't know, you know, I don't know what is going to happen under a Donald Trump presidency. One thing I do know that I believe is going to happen is we're going to have violence in the street, and I believe we're going to see some more damn lynch mobs. And and all I got to say is we have to be prepared. And even if Trump doesn't win, you know, if, if Bernie or Hillary, you know, um, if one of them is elected, the thing is is that even if they're elected with some of these, you know, white racists or white supremacists or white nationalists, it doesn't matter because they feel that it is their right, their manifest destiny to put us in our place because we're not because we're subhuman. And they've been able to get away with this, you know, for, for centuries, you know, for you know, at least the last couple of hundred years, you know, in this country. And like I said, go look up what happened in Rosewood, Tulsa, Wilmington. Go look the information up, you know, on Wilmington on Fire, um, Christopher Everett's movie. You know, he talks about how even to this day when they come across deeds of different property that was owned by black people and these black people were chased out of town and killed, that a lot of the, you know, the, the, the lynch mobs that were running around, they took the, the land. They took it and claimed it for themselves, and they started tearing up the deeds. And even to this day, when that information surfaces, they tear up the deeds. This is what's been happening in this country. And I would tell you guys to go and look up the history of the race riots. We did a show on it, you know. And, I mean, you know, Raina, do you do you think this is going to embolden and encourage people, particularly angry, poor whites, to come out and abuse, kill, and, and, and harm people of color? What specifically is going to embolden them? Um, if Donald, well, I mean, it doesn't matter. A lot of Donald, is, yeah, exactly, right. Um, you know, basically because they feel that it's their 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 manifest destiny is their right to go out and assert themselves and to subjugate, you know, these different communities who think they're so smart, who think that you know they're better than them. You know, whether Donald wins it or not, some of these people, in my opinion. Well, I mean, I don't, I, mean I don't think it has anything to, I mean, I think that Donald, I think Donald is, has been, I guess, good for their optics, you know, what I mean? right. in terms of these white, these white nationalist groups, but, um, I mean, I mean, this is something that's been going on in this country for a while, and, exactly. you know, it, it's sort of, you know, the election of Obama kind of, you know, helped to draw them out a little bit more. But they're they're becoming more organized, and they're um, they are you know having p- more people join their ranks, you know, and um, exactly. it's it's scary, you know, it's pretty scary. I don't I mean I don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, I don't I don't think that um, violence is out of the question. I don't think that that's an exactly. irrational fear at all. Um, I mean, there there are you know already um, more acts of violence uh, being committed towards you know Muslim Americans, 
people who are mistaken for Muslim Americans. Um, you know, there's you know there's violence towards various immigrant groups that's being you know ignored. Um, there's the fact that you know um, there are white nationalist groups that are ignoring you know treaties that the United States government has with Native Americans and you know mm-hmm. it, it, you know violating you know federal uh, federal laws and you know federal protections of lands and things like that. So, um, you know, we, uh, I don't think it's out of the question that we could see more violence. I mean, I think it's, I think it's coming. I, I hope that it's, uh, it's not as, you know, it's not going to be as, um, as bad or as prevalent as I think it might be, you know, but um, mm-hmm. I think it, I mean I think I mean it's it's coming. I mean you know there's there's more there's more what um, more more um, members and more traffic to a lot of these white nationalist websites. Um, exactly. You know, there's you know we've got um, KKK you know uh, former KKK members and uh, who are still white nationalists endorsing you know Donald Trump. You know what I mean, right? And um, you know it's um, and he didn't want to disavow it. <laughs> he disavowed it right away, and then he didn't want to disavow it. You know what I mean? Because right. I think I think fundamentally he knows he knows that there are people who are following him, who are who are interested in voting for him, who want to vote for someone who will accept the endorsement of David Duke. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. You want those people. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what, you know, we've been, you know, trying to convey. Uh, I know a couple of years ago, was it last year when, or the year before, I believe, when you had um, three Muslim young folks, you know, killed in North Carolina. And, you know, the the gentleman. Hmm? That was last year, I think. Yeah, last year. It was their neighbor. And, right, and the gentleman that killed them, you know, was uh, was an atheist, or, or as the atheist community tried to distance themselves, they claimed that he was an anti-theist. Any other time, they were welcoming of those people, but, you know, but you had that. And so, and, you know, a lot of this is because of the Islamophobia. I just want to make sure we address that. But um, in addition to that, you know, I read a story yesterday in which a young man went out and killed three of his neighbors because they didn't speak English. Mm. You know what's happening? You know, and what he yelled at them was, you guys got to go. This is in Milwaukee. Mm. You know, right now, you know, you have prison uprisings happening. Um at home in prison in Alabama, you know, the prisoners, you know, they're not having it. Go and read up about that. Um, It's a lot happening, you know, in this community. Um, I posted an article by Sean King in which he talks about Donald Trump and how he's the white evangelicals main man. And, you know, we all know that Donald Trump is more than likely not a Christian, when he came out talking about two Colossians, or you not know, a good Colossians. 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. You know Colossians too. You know, and, and you know, we were sitting back because I thought that shit was funny. You know, he couldn't even get that right. But anyway, what's interesting is is that something that Raina and I have talked about on this show, and you know, I talked about it extensively in conjunction with um, Michael Lackey's book, in which he talks about African American atheists and liberation. So, you know, um, the article was talking about how white evangelism or, you know, white evangelicals hide their white supremacy through Christianity, through religion, and how it's pretty much a smokescreen for white supremacy and how that's one of the reasons why a lot of these white evangelicals are supporting Trump. Not because he's a great Christian, but because of, again, you know, the white supremacy, you know, and, and, and capitalism and all of that. And so, you know, go out and read that article. He did a really good job with that article. So you can tell that it was well thought out and well researched. And this is something that we've talked about, you know, even on this show. And Paula White, you know, a, a white pastor over a predominantly black congregation. You know, her original church was in Florida. It was called Without Walls. And she partnered with her husband at the time, you know, Randy White. And their church failed. And, you know, he married a stripper or something like that. And, you know, then she took over um, Tim, what's his name's church, but that was the pastor that was found dead in his hotel room in New York of a drug overdose. And so she took over that church. You know, he was the pastor that kind of favored Will Smith. And so now she's over, you know, it's something destiny. Anyway, I've been out of the church scene so long that, you know, I don't have all these names down anymore. But, you know, she endorsed Donald Trump. She was the one who organized the meeting between pastors and Donald Trump in New York last year. And I remember posting that on my wall. And she's endorsing Donald Trump. And yet she presides over a predominantly black congregation, as well as the people that are at home that can't attend her church, but they send money to her faithfully. Black church, I'm getting ready to talk Mm -hmm. to you. Man, I'm t- black church, black Christians, black spiritual folks, whatever you want to call yourself today. Guys, we need you to wake up. We need you to pay attention. I'll give you an example here in Illinois. Bruce Rauner, who was just elected governor of the state of Illinois, and he's a Republican. He was running against an incumbent Democrat who had been in office. And what happened is some of these black pastors in Chicago got together and decided to to, to back Rauner. And now we're having issues with, you know, the budget not being passed. You know, we're having issues with them not wanting to finance the public school because they want to, you know, push their charter school, you know, agenda And for the people in Chicago that attend the churches of, like, James Meeks or 
Cory Booker and a number of other, you know, pastors here, Marshall and, and you know, I don't know if um, Trotter was a part of that. I'm not sure. I had to look that up. But the ones that we do know that were definitely a part of that, you know, particular, you know, um, you know, group of black pastors, you know, members of these churches, I'm sorry, you need to protest your, your church. And you do that by not putting any money in the bucket. And I would even encourage people walking around with picket signs at your church. Because look at the position that these pastors have put you in. And I'm saying that to say this to the Paula White supporters and some of the, you know, and Paula White isn't the only pastor over black congregations that are supporting Trump. Don't be fooled. I'm telling you guys, don't give them your money. Keep your money in your pocket. You know, you know. my thing is a part of me wants to say stop going, but other part of me is like, no, nah, go there and suck up all the free air conditioning and look at him like he's strange. You know, and but something has to be done because look at what's happening at these rallies. Listen to the rhetoric coming out of his mouth. And Paula White and other pastors are supporting him. So, you know, mm-hmm. the question is, is that how they feel about you? Because when Paula White had her Without Walls church with her husband, Randy, there were allegations of racism even then. You know, right. go out and do a Google search. There are all kind of blogs talking about the racism there. As a matter of fact, some of the black employees actually went to the EEOC and filed a complaint. All that information is out there. I have no reason to make it up. Fact check me. But you need to stop giving these people your money. You need to stop sitting in their face and smiling and acting like everything is okay. It's not funny. It's not okay. And I'm sorry, you know, you have people out here saying, well, God will fix it. Or, you know, they'll get their reward you know, after they've died and gone to heaven. Well, okay, you think you're going to get your reward after you go to heaven. What about those of us that want our reward now on earth? You know, and Mm -hmm. so I don't even know what to say, you know, because this is just pissing me off more and more because you have these people that are out here and they're exploiting and manipulating their congregation, these poor people, it's, it's just, it's horrible. And the thing is, is that one of the reasons why I get on the black church when I do is because they have the ear and the pulse of the community. And I'm talking about specifically the black and Latino communities and even the poor white communities. Look at what they're standing up for. Look at what's being allowed to happen in your churches. You know, everybody know that that's pastor's outside kid. Everybody know pastor, you know, he likes cakes and pies, but nobody wants to talk about it. You want to call when you tell the truth about what's happening in this church. You know, you want to you want to call it gossip. No, it's not gossip. It's the truth. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at some of you. You're smarter than that. You are smarter mm-hmm. than that. Don't let them do this to you. Yeah, and then the and even are... look at some of the black pastors. Like there's this exactly. black guy. 
um, I think he's out of Chicago, Kim. I don't remember his name, but he was one of the pastors that went to that that uh, that hundred pastor thing that they were supposed to have. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be right. like maybe twenty five of them. Anyway, right. <laughs> he's been he's been in the media riding for Trump very hard. You know exactly. what I mean? And, exactly. Yeah. It has, yeah, and that's why. Yeah, and that's why I'm telling people. Uh huh. And it's been difficult for me to understand exactly why that is. You know what I mean? Because I don't see what benefit Trump is going to be to this man's congregation. But it all makes sense when you understand. Uh, that the that a lot of these pastors run their churches more like businesses than exactly. they do as um, as you know organizations that are concerned with the welfare and well being of their congregations. So for right. him, you know, he's um, he is aligning himself with Trump out of his own financial interests. Exactly. You know? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate, and this is why, you know, we're bringing this up. And, yeah, you know, he isn't the only one out here riding for Trump in Chicago. Believe that. You know, I just... Oh, I know. I'm just saying, I just have seen, I have seen this one guy, and I can't think of his name. I can see his face, but he's been on CNN (laughs) a bunch of times. And every time I see his face, I get sick to my stomach. I want to punch the TV. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. And and what's so interesting is, you know, when Sean King wrote that article, he was talking about how he was an evangelical pastor for a while and how when he started talking about race matters, how you know, how a lot of those pastors, you know, distanced themselves from him. He used to have hundreds of pastor friends and I think he said he's down to about ten now. Because they didn't like him talking about racism and white supremacy and all of that. So he ended up, you know, losing, you know, some of those friends. And, you know, that's what's interesting because um, you had Crenshaw Christian Center, which is based in Los Angeles, California. And that is uh, uh, Christian Crenshaw. I see the man's face. Fred Price. Fred Price Sr., and when he did a series on race and racism, this had to be about 20, 25 years ago, he had people in his congregation telling him, excuse me, telling him not to do it. They were trying to discourage and dissuade him from that particular issue. Excuse me. And what happened was he went on and he, he talked about and preached on racism you know, a portion of his congregation left him because they felt like that was something that was inappropriate for the pulpit. Now, mind you, he's part of that Word of Faith crew, the prosperity, you know, preachers. And so, you know, and you've had a number of other pastors, when they start broaching the subject of race, and and the political effects of, you know, white supremacy and capitalism and, and the devastating impact that it has on families and individuals, they are discouraged from doing that. And, you know, you should be asking yourself, why? Why do they not want the church 
talking about race and laying it all out on the line. You should be asking why. You know, you have a lot of churches and pastors that feel like they shouldn't be political, but, you know, every year when they have that one particular week where the pastors pretty much endorse candidates, you know, they're being political. So my thing is if you're going to be political and endorse, you know, a candidate for governor or mayor or president, why can't you talk about race? Why won't you do it? You talk about every damn thing else. So, you know, that's that's my challenge to some of you, there's and ministers and evangelists, et cetera. You know, look, we're going to have to talk about it. And like I said, you have the ear and the pulse of the community. And you're doing your congregation a disservice by ignoring these issues. Because there are certain pastors that I do watch their programs. They they have not touched this. They won't touch it. Mm-mm. And so, you guys, you need to be asking why and why not. And so, I mean, it's a number of things that we're going to talk about. But um, this this Trump stuff, this is not a joke. This is happening. And if you all want to see someone tear down Trump's, you know, his little race war he's trying to start, go and look up Rachel Maddow. She did a very good clip on this. You know, she put it together, and she did a good job. So go and look up Rachel Maddow, um, Trump and his deliberate race war. Go and look that up. Now, for those of you that listen to the show, you know, I'm motivated by these young people by the youth, and I'm always saying wonderful things about them. And, you know, what happened in Chicago, them shutting Trump down, this was because of black, Latino, and Muslim students. Those Mm -hmm. babies organized that, and they showed up. You understand these babies are out here. They're not trying to have it. They're not trying to hear it. And they have white allies out there. There's some white students out there, too, you know. And and I'm sitting here, and, you know, I'm getting chills because everybody knows how I feel about Black Youth Project 100. Those are my babies right there. I love them, you know. But, you know, what I saw on a lot of those videos showing the protests in Chicago, if nothing else, Donald Trump is forcing you know, smaller groups or people of color, you know, he's forcing us to come together and to unite and to work in solidarity with one another. Because, again, you know, they were talking about this and they say we we need to come together because if we don't work, you know, collectively, they're just going to hang us individually. Right. And that's true. That is very mm-hmm. true. So, you know, I I take my hat off to those young college activists. You guys are doing a hell of a job, a hell of a job. And if you ever need anything, reach out, you know, and, you know, we can have you on the show or what have you. But, um, you know, hand claps, you know, if I had to church organ, I'd, you know, warm it up for these babies because they deserve every accolade coming their way for how well they organized, you know, you know, um, you know, the pro organized Trump. So again, when you hear me saying 
you know, to the older folks, sit down, be quiet, and shut up is because a number of the older people are afraid. And I get that. I understand. You know, this is scary. This is not a joke, people. You know, but the thing is, is that, you know, that fear is not going to protect you. That fear is not going to make these people stop. That fear isn't going to hurt, you know, isn't going to hurt them in any way. It's only going to hurt us. Right. And, you know, that that goes back to when, you know, the, you know um, a show a few weeks ago, and it was a young man. You know, he had a lot of energy. I love that. You know, even though I didn't agree with everything he had to say, I just enjoyed the way he said it until he got to the Umar Johnson part. And so, so, but he knew because I was like, no. And so it was interesting, you know, that was Jacob from Brooklyn. But, you know, some of the things that, you know, he said were true. And one point he made, and this is something I've spoken with Raina and others about, you know, in detail. Even but not, I've talked about it on this show, you know, but he was talking about how many people of color have become comfortable or complacent in their oppression. Now, in some cases, I I find that to be true, especially if, you know, they consider themselves comfortable and, you know, they have enough wealth built up or they're doing well under this, you know, under capitalism or what have you. And what's interesting is, you know, what's happening now is the same thing that happened during the Civil Rights Black Power Movement. And, you know, they say about 13% of the church supported Martin Luther King. I think that number is exaggerated. I really believe it was like 8% or less. But we'll go with 13%. But only 13% supported King. Now, some of the pastors that didn't support King, he allowed the people, the community, to use the church because that was one of the very few places where we could meet without being harassed. And the same thing holds true even to this day. You know, you don't see a lot of, you know, religious or ministers or anyone like that, you know, outright supporting these young folks. And some of the ones that call themselves supporting these, you know, these young folks, they're just, you know, self-promoting narcissists. You know, I'll give one good example. Up there in Baltimore, you have Jamal Bryant. You know, now initially him and Ayala were telling the kids to go home. And when he saw that those kids weren't going home, that they were still, you know, out there and protesting and, you know, the activism was continuing, he decided to throw himself in front of the line and march arm in arm with these children. And it's not because he believed in their cause, but because he's trying to make himself the next Martin Luther King. And the same thing, you know, takes took place in D.C. with Al Sharpton when he called himself doing a new march on Washington. He put himself at the front of the line. He lied, or okay, I won't say lied. I'll just say, you know, he made some promises to the Ferguson activists about them having a place at the podium, a place, 
you know, it, you know, a voice to speak to the crowd and to the people. And what happened is those activists were pushed to the back of the line, and they were not necessarily given the opportunity to speak. They rushed the podium, jumped up there, and 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 said what they needed to say. You know, and of course the look, you know, the look from um, Al Sharpton and some of the other political vanguard or, you know, the, you know, black misleadership, if you will, they were sitting there looking all shocked and in awe. You lied to those babies. You told them that they would be a part of the solution. You told them you wanted to work with them. Where all you and Jesse and all of you and, and Jamal, you're just trying to take over. Y'all need to go on and retire, go down to Shady Pies, enjoy your, you know, your tropical drinks. You're not in control anymore. That's over. And that's why I encourage these babies. I'm like, don't listen to this old civil rights vanguard. They ain't been doing shit since, you know, King was assassinated. They've been lining up their pockets, and they've been feeding their bellies and running around having outside children. But that's something different, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but the fact that they try to hide it, that's the problem. But, um, guys, these babies are coming together, and they're standing up, and they're not having it. You know, and there was an article I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it's, it's entitled Indians Debt to Black America, and it was on Huffington Post. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but, you know, like I said, you have a lot of different groups. You had a lot of Muslim groups here in Chicago. You had, of course, you know, some of the black groups and some of the Latino groups, and they came together with some of the white allies, some of the white student groups, too, and they shut it down. And they plan on shutting it down again April 1st. And so, you know, again, there are people that are interested in going out there. There are some people that are not, and and, and I understand. But if you all really want to know some of the things that's happening in your local cities, you know, you need to get out there and, and join some of the groups or, and when I'm saying the groups, I'm talking about on Facebook, so that you can see what they're planning, but a lot of those, um, a lot of these activities are open to the public, so you don't necessarily have to join a group. But you know, you just look around and you'll find the little invite, the Facebook event invites, and things like that. So it's out there, but things are changing. Things are changing in this country. That's one of the reasons why, you know, you see a lot of these white people who are showing up to these, you know, um, Donald Trump rallies. And I'm trying to remember because, you know, I was on the phone with, you know, a friend, and we were talking about something in particular. And it's just really interesting. I hate when I do that. I know what I want to talk about, but it's just not registering. But we were talking about, you know, these rallies, what's happening in his country. Ah, okay, so in the King um, article, Sean King article, he talked about 
capitalism and white evangelicals, and he was, you know, talking about um, just a number of the things that have been happening. And he basically, you know, reiterated something that we talked about on this show. You know, white Christianity, <laughs> Christianity for, for many white people, again, it's about, you know, capitalism, it's about oppression, and it's about fear. And, again, that's why I'm tying it to the show that I did with Michael Lackey's book because we talked extensively then and since then about how black Christians see Christian, well, black people see Christianity one way and white people see it another way. And unfortunately for some of the white people, Christianity is a tool of fear and oppression. And for many black people or black Christians, you know, they see it as a tool for hope and change, which is why, you know, Barack Obama's, you know, his platform, it resonated with a lot of people, not just black people, but across the board, you know, that hope and change thing. And so, um, you know, there's a difference with black Christians, you know, and I used to be one, you know, it's about hoping and wishing and knowing that things are going to get better in a by and by, as they used to say, and we will be rewarded in heaven and, you know, all of, all of those things. And, you know, what's unfortunate is, you know, a lot of the people that believe that, you know, they're being abused, exploited, manipulated, and ignored now in this lifetime. And it's dangerous. What's happening right now is definitely dangerous. So, um, you know, go and read the King, the Sean King article, Donald Trump proves evangelical Christianity is just white supremacy in disguise. And that's true. You want to add anything to that, Raina? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Say not one word. So, yeah. guys, yeah, well, you said I pretty much said it all. Yeah. Um, go out. Go out. Go and do some reading. Find out what's happening. And, you know, like I said, you know, go out and talk to someone who's different than yourself. Talk to some people in other communities, you know. Just don't talk to Grandpa at the dollar store, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I learned a lesson from that, you know. But, um, hey, I mean, you know, I, I ignore people. I don't know why people want to talk to me. They just find me. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a, <laughs> oh, you you've heard some of the stories, you know, and it, it's just funny, y'all. But um, yeah, get out there, get registered to vote, and you need to start reading up on the Second Amendment and understanding, you know, its purpose. Because you have a lot of people who 
you know, they they like to say they don't understand the activists and the organizers and the protesters now because things get violent and that things didn't get violent during the civil rights movement. That's a lie. 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 Exactly. Right, 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 right. Well, you know what? And that's why it says justice or just us. Because the thing is, is that, you know, um, when when you have white people saying that things didn't get violent during the civil rights black power movement, the the thing is, is that what they're saying is, you know, the blacks didn't fight back that much, you know, and <laughs> and that's what they want now. So I guess watching, you know, the fire hoses being turned on people, watching the police dogs tear people up, watching them shoot folks, you know, I guess that was nonviolence. But, you know, that was on our end. Girl. You all don't want us girl. to fight back. Yes. Too funny. You know? I just, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the, um, the um, fire hoses because people are talking about um, Hillary Clinton. And her and her major gaffe during Nancy Reagan's funeral, where she was oh, saying Lord. that they were that they were instrumental in starting a dialogue on HIV, right? And uh, oh, so people oh, said, "Hold on, I, okay." <laughs> Go ahead. I saw. Never mind. It, it, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, finish it. Okay, so basically, the the, the this uh, this hashtag originated with Hillary Clinton screwing up at Nancy Reagan's funeral when she basically said that the um, that the Reagans started the national dialogue on HIV AIDS, right? And uh-huh. you know, people pointed out that that was wrong, so. Today, mm-hmm. um, somebody uh, was talking about since schools were still segregated, officers in the South used fire hoses to cool off black people during the Civil Rights Movement. Have <laughs> <laughs> the free shower, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but no, you're right. You know, that was a major gaffe on her part because. Um, you know, Nancy Reagan herself made comments about the LGBTQ community, you know, and especially the gay pride, you know, day and, and weekends and, you know, events. And, you know, basically she said, you know, that gay people had nothing to be proud of, right. you know, and it was during the 80s when the Reagans were in office that ACT UP and a number of other groups were out there and just, acting the fool to get that, you know, to get to get HIV and AIDS education and money and all of that to get that because they weren't going to shell out a dime. And then it still took some time for them to recognize HIV and AIDS, to, you know, to call it. But, you know, what's so interesting about ACT UP is, again, some of this goes back to what we talked about, um, you know, with some of the privilege and you know, um, it was pretty much white males out there, at, you know, advocating for, you know, money and education and, the, you know, in the gay white community, primarily men. And then the women had to start acting up as well because there was basically almost no money being given towards research and education and, and, and 
you know, all of that to, you know, to women. And, you know, a lot of that to this day is, is, is kind of twisted around because now, you know, HIV and AIDS is pandemic in, in black communities. And a lot of the funding for that are going to these, you know, larger white organizations that claim that they're doing outreach and education and informing, you know, communities of color. And I have yet to see them come through my neighborhood. You know, I've asked other people. They haven't seen anything either. So what's happening with that money? And a lot of black organizations were shut out for some of that funding. So, again, you know, it's just it's, it's amazing. But <laughs> I don't know anymore, Raina. I don't know. I mean, what the hell are we doing? Where are we coming to? You know, when you have someone like Donald Trump appealing to the very base instincts of of people. And I don't know. I think we are where we've where we've been for a while. <laughs> exactly. I think we are where yeah, we've exactly. been for a while. It started with the tea parties and the birthers. I mean, mm-hmm. at least in recent in recent memory. You know, right. it kind of it kind of came up with the partiers and whatnot and the birthers. And, you know, Trump is a birther and you know, he's um you know, he he espouses a lot of the the white nationalist viewpoints that a lot uh-huh. of white people have, that a lot of white people hold. Not you know, not all white people obviously, but uh, significant right. quantities of them. You know? Right. So Exactly. You know, at this point it's like nothing really surprises surprises me about it. Um, you know, I mean, I think we almost thought he was a joke candidate but at first, but you know, as time went on, especially to hear him say the things that he was saying, it was it became clear like that he knew exactly what he was doing. Like he knows exactly who he's appealing to. He knows exactly whose votes he's trying to garner. You know, this is he's doing this on purpose. This is all calculated. Exactly. 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 And 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 see, and that's the thing. And this is why, you know, I, I tell a lot of folks, and in particular communities of color, this is why we have to be tactical and strategic. Because, see, the thing is, is that history repeats itself. So they're expecting a certain type of reaction from us, and then they're going to use, you know, the same methodologies that they used in the past to bring us to heal, if you will. And that's so one of the things that's interesting when I was talking about the New Deal and um, in conjunction with Ira Katz Nelson's book, Fear Itself. Go back and read that because when you go back and you read, you know, some of the things that W.E.B. Du Bois had to say and a number of other, you know, public intellectuals or what have you, um, the same issues that we're fighting for now were the same issues we were fighting for then. And this is why I say we have to react differently. We have, and you know, the system has to be destroyed, deconstructed, period. Right. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, and because we can't just accept, I mean, you know, all right, they'll give two or three of us, you know, an acre of land and a pig. You know, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's, that's unacceptable. We need to make structural and institutional changes. And it's mm-hmm. not going to be easy. This is not going to be easy. And this is why I say we have to have the right people in place you know, to to make these changes happen. And and we have to make sure we hold those people accountable. Because, like I said, you know, some of these institutions and organizations, they pay, you know, some of these so-called, you know, black leaders, they pay them to go away. See, that particular black leader and their family and cronies benefit from that. But the rest of us do not. Right. And then a lot of that is hush hush. So that's what I'm saying. We have to hold everybody accountable. You know, even right. these ministers or organizers or activists that you all send out to represent and speak for you, you have to hold them accountable. Even now, with what's happening with some of these grassroots movements and organizations, you have people that are out here promoting themselves, self-promoting, you know, um, opportunists. You know? Yep. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics right now, but, you know, we're sitting back and we're watching this. And we see what's happening, which is one of the reasons why I've kind of gone silent. On a number of things. You know, I'm just kind of waiting to see a couple of things play out. And then I'll say what I need to say and do what I need to do. But there are a lot of things happening in the background that, you know, people aren't aware of. And even if we told you, many of these same people wouldn't believe it. So um, it's it's just, guys, keep your eyes and ears open. When we tell you to utilize critical thinking skills, that goes beyond religion. I'm talking about every aspect of your life. Use critical thinking skills when dealing with anything or anyone. And, you know, things happen, you know, the best of us have been fooled by others. But what did Maya Angelou say when someone shows you who you are, shows you who they are, believe them? And then Oprah said the first time. And, yeah, I know how some of you all feel about Oprah and all of that. But, um, yeah, someone shows you who who they are, you believe them. Watch, pay attention, hold people accountable. And there are some people that you're going to have to cut loose. It happens. Trust me, you'll get over it. It'll be all right. So good, fun stuff. But, yeah, you know, again, a big shout-out to the student organizers and activists as well as, you know, the organizers and activists that have a little bit of sage wisdom on them. You know, <laughs> you know um, guys, you did a great job. 
And, you know, they released Timothy Bradford in Chicago and, you know, was really happy about that. Um, I met Tim last year, and he's he's a really good guy. He still owes me breakfast, but that's another story. But, um, you know, I was really happy to see that, you know, he was released. And, again, you know, to kind of get ahead of the curve or get ahead of things, I would tell you guys to go and look up, um, just do some Google searches on black political prisoners and so on and so forth. And I'm trying to remember um, during the debate, the GOP debate, and they were talking about Cuba. And I think this was Marco Rubio who was basically stating that Cuba should send Asada Shakur back and that yeah, we shouldn't was. be cutting it. Hmm? He was. And so, again, guys, you need to pay attention to these trigger words, to these buzzwords. Pay attention. But look up black political prisoners, um, you know, and, and, you know, again, I've talked about the protest psychosis. Go look that up and understand. Because back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, when, you know, you had communities of color rising up and saying no more, you know, you had a lot of these white, you know, uh, mental health specialists, if you will, you know, they started diagnosing, you know, more people of color as being schizophrenic. Because why aren't they happy with what they have? They have a really good life in this country. So, I mean, just just go and look it up. I also want you to look up, you know, um, you know, protesters and um, um, domestic terrorism because now they're calling a lot of the protesters, activists, organizers, they're categorizing them as domestic terrorists but not the white dude that shot up a black church. He's not a domestic nope. terrorist. Nope, he's just, and, he's just a murderer. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and that's the whole thing. Go out and look up about, you know, look up information about these mass shootings in the United States and, you know, how it's primarily white males that are shooting, you know, schools up, shooting up movie theaters and, what have you, go and look that up and ask why. Why are they so angry? Interestingly enough, why is Donald Trump's message resonating with them? There is a reason. Go and look it up. Mm -hmm. Don't just sit there and wait for us to do a show and bring some answers or someone else to do a show or write an article to bring you some answers. You need to look this up for yourself because there are going to be instances and situations in your life in which you're going to be wondering why this happened. The information is out here. The help is out here. But, you know, again, justice or just us. So I guess that question I'm going to pose to, you know, some of the white people out there. When you say justice, are you talking about all of us? Or are you just talking about your particular group? A particular group of people that you identify with. 
And for those of you that are parts of these different communities that claim they want diversity and they talk about all of these wonderful things, and then they, you know, everybody goes home from the conference or goes home from the rally or goes home from, you know, what have you, and nothing ever happens. That's not a mistake either. So at the end of the day, what they're really saying is, we don't care. We're going to put this out here and say these things just to keep you halfway happy and give one or two people, you know, some scraps from the table, and business as usual will go on. How many times are they going to do that before you get a clue? They don't care. And that's not all of them across the board. But, you know, like I said, even with some of the, you know, parishioners or congregants of, you know, these churches, you know, protesting against the church and against their particular pastors who are making decisions to benefit their own pocketbook while disenfranchising, you know, their congregation, in addition to that, the community in which those churches reside. They're getting the shaft as well. But not only in that community, I mean, even within the LGBTQ community, there is a lot of racism, a lot of racism, a lot of sexism, you know, of course, white supremacy, because, you know, what started or what was, you know, um, what basically started this particular modern um, LGBTQ movement, it started with Stonewall, with the trans people in Stonewall fight, fighting back at the police. Those were primarily Latino and black women, trans women. And they've been whitewashed out of the history, totally factored out. Why? That's why I'm asking you. Why? So it's important that you get out here and you all do some research, ask some questions. Do not be afraid to ask questions. You have some of these people that, you know, like I said, they want you to be a part of their community because it gives them good optics. In addition to giving them good optics, you know, they know some of you all are going to pay the membership dues and show up to everything just because you want to be a part of the community. You want to feel like you're a part of things. They know this. See, I mean, what a lot of people don't understand is that minorities have been studied. They kind of know what we're thinking and the direction that we're going in. And this is why I'm saying that there are some things that have to change. Otherwise, you know, 20, 30 years from now, it's going to be the same bullshit. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, what kind of future are you leaving your children, your grandchildren, et cetera, and on? You got to think about these things, and you got to start holding these folks accountable. So, um, you know, hey, 
uh huh. I um you know looking at this election and I mean just being honest with you, neither party has earned a damn thing from communities of color. And you have a lot of these Democrats out here that are pointing to the Republicans and saying that they're racist, but yet they overlook the racism within the Democratic, you know, community. And so, I mean, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. What are you going to do about it? So these are some of the questions that you need to be out here. You need to start putting some pressure on these people. Put some pressure on them. Ask the difficult questions. And, you know, there are going to be times, like I said, you're going to get pushed back, and that's fine. But don't let the white tears fool you. And in many cases, they're just trying to deflect you know, the conversation or deflect, you know, having to answer the questions or derail the conversation, however you want to put that. And so pay attention, ask the questions, do not allow them to intimidate you. You have every right to question everything. And like I said, that that holds true even outside of religion, if you will, even outside of your LGBTQ activism, even outside of, you know, this human rights, civil rights movement that's taking place in America. And I also want you guys to think about how is it that America, in particular white Americans, that they were very supportive of Arab Springs and Pink Springs and all of that. But once, you know, people of color in this community started asking questions and demanding equality and recognition, all of a sudden now it's wrong. It's okay over there, but you bet not bring that around these parts over here, right? Mm-hmm. How does that work? So, guys, like I said, I can go on about that. It's just so much happening. But, yeah, do some Google searches. I want you guys to do a Google search on social contracts, libertarians, tea partiers, birthers, you know, and, you know, you can also put racial contract. It's the same thing pretty much. And so I can't wait to finish reading that book. So I can kind of share and with this particular book, I'm going to read it from beginning to end because, you know, I already, you know, I've kind of been leafing through it. You know, I have it on Kindle, but skipping around and it's a lot of excellent information. So I want to make sure that when I bring that to you guys that, you know, you can be as comprehensive as possible. And I still haven't forgotten about the shows on capitalism. That's coming. So anyway, moving on from that, like I say, guys, go out and you really start need to start thinking about some of these things. So anyway, Raina, welcome back, my darling. How are you? I'm okay. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's kind Did of a have- fine time to ask how I'm doing after the show is pretty much right. over. <laughs> well, you know the reason for that because we talk pretty much every day, so it's like you know I know how you're doing, but I just wanted everybody else to know that you're doing fine and have them hear it coming from you. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. <laughs> they kicking your butt in this program. I mean, they're trying. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, again, we're proud of you, honey. Keep it up. Do your thing. And, guys, like I said, you know, we have Raina Rhodes with us today. I'm Kimberly Veal, and we are a part of Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. We, you know, it's, it's, it's imperative that you use those critical thinking skills in every area of your life. And also I wanted to make sure I added in like I did last week. This is a hotel, no tep free zone. So just want to make sure that that's understood. And on that note, I guess we're out of here. Look forward to talking with you guys next week. What about, I haven't figured it out yet, but we'll be talking about something. And for you out there that have been supportive of me, you know, looking at the numbers, you know, they're absolutely wonderful, even though Blog Talk Radio put in some new features, which screwed all the numbers up, and they're trying to fix it now, just basing that on, you know, some of the performances I've seen of other shows, you know, throughout um you know, the reports that I pull, you know, the numbers have been very good. So thank you guys for your support. Even when I took a couple of months off to deal with some personal issues and, you know, and I just needed a break, guys. So I think I'm going to start doing more of that, you know, not taking a couple of months off here and there, but schedule some, you know, some time off to make sure that I can do that so that I can regroup and get rejuvenated and, you know, do some me things. So on that note, we are signing out. And, Raina, my dear, you have a good Sunday. All of you out there that are listening live or listening to the archives, we love you very much, and we support you. And for the person that inboxed me about the colorism, I hope we answered, you know, your question. And we are out of here. Take care, everybody. Have a good Sunday now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.